0: It's decided. Roll the theme music.
1: (laughs) This is going to be a rough one. I can already tell.
0: up my nerd welcome inside pop culture with fanboy and know-it-all and back inside our crazy discombobulated brains or at least one of ours <laughs> i'm keeping y'all out <laughs> lock those doors close off those walls throw the key into the moat <laughs> i'm jake i am paul did I already introduce us? Is, are, no, no, no. Me? We're good. are okay. okay. This is good. That's how discombobulated my brain is right now, Paul. <laughs> we are here today to talk about the nicest man in all of sports history, possibly. Uh, I would say, Paul, arguably, he's even nicer than Rudy. Rudy.
1: I don't know. I've never seen it. I don't think Rudy can be that nice since he played for Notre Dame.
0: But I did not realize Rudy was on your backlist.
1: Yeah, is on my back list. Man, there you, go. Just, I, you know, you can only watch so many inspirational sports movies, and especially football movies. I hear you that. I, I do Remember hear that. Remember the Titans? That was the A-plus version. Everything else seems
0: like it would be a step down. That's, that's you know what, I understand. Yeah. And uh, there's actually a college football connection in that the nicest man in all of sports is none other than Apple TV Plus's Ted Lasso. Different kind of football. Well, but he started off in college football. Well, it's true. It's true. Then he moved to European football. Football. And uh, yeah, season two is releasing weekly now. Season one came out nowhere. (laughs) Uh, Well, except not really out of nowhere. Uh, Those that might have, people might have some recollection of. Ted Lasso actually being a a NBC promo sketch to promote the fact that NBC Sports was going to be getting some airing soccer for their U.S. audience. And so years ago, they used SNL actor at the time, Jason Sudeikis, to do a promo as this fictional Ted Lasso, American football coach going to coach a European soccer team. And... uh. uh then we got the Apple T V plus version of Ted Lasso that just started coming out of left field and smacking everybody around with its mustache. With its mustache and with all its
1: its awards and nominations. So, I have some thoughts on the uh, the NBC promos actually, oddly enough, because I have thoughts on everything. But but we can wait until we do the segment as a whole. I tend to derail us early sometimes when I
0: start launching into the segment way too soon. Fair enough. Keeping it sports themed this episode, we are going to do a Rank Geeks following our conversation on Ted Lasso and we are going to rank the top five, our individual top five, most strangely compelling Olympic events. (laughs) And as usual, that is an ambiguous list uh, title, and so I'm sure our answers will be equally ambiguous and argumentative. (laughs) So did you know that there was a solo
1: synchronized swimming contest from 1984 to
0: 1992? I have heard such things but i've never looked up the footage
1: how can you synchronize yourself with yourself
0: i well, just call you have more than one limb so <laughs> and i've seen you dance though so i get where that question comes from <laughs> i understand how difficult it is for you to synchronize your own limbs oh my god i know that you're saying how you're not- I, you weren't saying how do you do it like oh how is this a sport but you were like just truly marveling how does one do this
1: <laughs> exactly what what you have control of your arms and your legs at the same time it's incredible it's incredible
0: right. and then we'll wrap up the show the way we always love to wrap up the show that's with the most least important thing but now it's time for ted lasso All right, Paul. Time to spill the beans. What do you have to say about the NBC promos? The original Ted Lasso.
1: Okay, so so first, I gotta ask: Do you have a Ted Lasso
0: um, impression under your hat? Ooh, that's a good question. Usually, with impressions, I have to find some key word that I can. I feel like I can always say in that in that impression. Yeah. And uh, what is – what would Ted Lasso – the problem with Ted Lasso is he's so random. He's always saying a million different things. He's always
1: saying a million different things in his Texas accent, even though he comes from My Canada,
0: guy. right? By golly, Nate, you're a genius. <laughs> hey, little buddy. Walk see, with some see, swag.
1: <laughs> see, if you, get, if you get that nailed down, You know, maybe you could be Ted Lasso and I could
0: be Coach Beard. There you go. I could be Taciturn. Though I'm the only one with a beard in this scenario, that's true. It's true. So but you do I, like being the no-speaky. I
1: do like to be the no-speaky. If I can, if I can finagle my way into a place where I am speaking as little as possible, which is clearly not a podcast, um, I am. I am very happy. But that's right. my thoughts: NBC's yeah. promos, which happened in what two, 2014, 2015, something like that. Roundabouts there, so. In those initial promos,
0: Coach Lasso was kind of a jerk. A little, there was a little bit of an edge to him, almost uh, Michael Scott-ish. Yeah, to him, maybe a little bit less of a. I I still thought he was charming, but you're right; there was an edge to the character differently. Yeah, in those promos.
1: Yeah, because he was he was hard. He was yelling at people. He was telling them to hit each other because, of course, he didn't understand. You know actual football he just knew american football and so that's what he was going for so and yeah he just seemed he seemed hyper aggressive like your typical college high school texas coach they stereotypical not typical but stereotypical right Right. yeah yeah he wasn't nearly as likable in the promos he was funny but not nearly as likable and i gotta say jake that ted lasso he may be
0: one of the most likable characters on TV. Eventually, we'll have to do a list of the top five most likable TV characters. Yes. You know, we recently, of course, did uh, Best TV Cast, but Most Likable Character is probably, arguably, an even more difficult task to rank. So, Oh, yeah. But you're right in that what would not be difficult is throwing Ted Lasso up there.
1: He is just... So, you know, the, the quote that I always come back to, I, I think for those who are not familiar with Ted Lasso, it's essentially about this college coach, American football coach who goes, uh, goes across the pond to become a coach for a European football team, which of course is very different. It is called soccer here in America. Um, it's, he's not familiar with the sport. He doesn't know that they play halves. He doesn't know that they have uh, ties in it, which is an anathema to, to American football fans. Um, so he is really out of his element, but he feels like he can get by on just really strong belief in yourself and a belief in your teammates and the whole bit. He comes in with a very, very positive attitude. Meanwhile, the owner of the team, um, he, she's actually hired him to get back at her ex-husband they had a very very messy divorce he had cheated on her serially with tons and tons and tons of people and um she only got the team fr- out of it so so she owns the team and she wants to ruin the team because her husband loves this team so much the way that she can get back at him is by crushing, crushing the team into dust, and she feels like Ted Lasso is the best way to go about it. So, um, it's a really, it's a really fascinating setup for season one. That's kind of the setup for season one, and uh, one of the first interactions we have between between Ted and the owner is they're looking at the old pictures in the hallways, and and. Ted is is talking about just sort of the the spirits that must be behind some of these great classic team players and all this sort of stuff and and the owner turns to to him and says, "Do you believe in ghosts, Ted?" And he says, "Oh, definitely." But more importantly, I want them to believe in themselves, <laughs> which <laughs> it really sums up the entire show. I think.
0: Yeah. And I'll admit to you, Paul and other friends, <laughs> I was very skeptical of Ted Lasso, even after all the rave reviews. I still sort of thought that first I thought, you know, this is going to be another one of those based on an SNL type right. character or actor that's just completely vacuous. Right. And then second, when I started watching it and there were quotes like that and I honestly felt a lot like – uh the, I felt like the character in Ted Lasso, Trent Krim of the Independent, yeah. <laughs> the, the crusty old reporter, because who who just who is has this eye on it and just doesn't believe it. Like nobody's this nice, nobody's this charming, nobody's this winsome. Nobody is always this put together, and I struggled with that even through the first. Probably third to half of season one. And we probably should say spoilers for season one of Ted Lasso, if you care. So fair warning. We haven't gotten there yet, but we will. Uh, But if you're willing, Paul, to let your guard down and to say this is not a show that's going to deal with all of the nuances, that does truly want to be an aspirational show – then you can fall in love with it if you'll just let your guard down yeah. and let Ted in. And and I really felt like that in that episode where Ted and spends a day with Trent. That I felt like, I don't know. I wonder how much the show writers meant this. I felt like I, as the audience, was meant to be in the shoes of Trent Crim, questioning like, "Nah, this is too syrupy." And they're like, "No, just just go with us. Just just melt with us a little bit." <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, it, I I think that was actually the turnaround point for me too. I I have to confess to you, Jake. This is when I approached Ted Lasso. I'm I'm kind of obsessed with Ted Lasso now, and one of the reasons is because I think it was my review of Ted Lasso that maybe I had gotten the most quote unquote wrong in in my career at Plugged In. Oh wow. Um yeah because because the show has a lot of problems right it has a lot of sensuality it has tons and tons of bad language it is it is definitely not you know a, a show for the organization that I work for it it has very very many problems and you can oh, okay.
0: see- Caveat with Paul A. <laughs> That's exactly
1: right. This is this is one of those episodes that that, that we need that content caveat because it has some serious serious problems. And when I watched the show, you know, I watched the the first episode and and kind of wrote a review on that. I could see that it had some heart to it, but a lot of shows do. You know they they make this sort of they make this sort of faint toward toward having you know a point. Some morality, some heart, and so that's not necessarily unusual for even some really not very, very good or nice shows. Had you feel the insincerity of those shows, I thought that that Ted Lasso might be sort of of a piece with those. But a friend of mine, actually at, at work, sort of encouraged me to watch more of it. She was like a huge fan. And I thought, okay, well, all right, we'll we'll try it. We'll give it a shot. And so we just started watching it. And man, I tell you what, right about that episode with Trent Krim, um, where you have you see the sincerity, you see the honesty of of the main character, Ted Lasso. The first couple of episodes honestly felt a lot like the NBC, you know. Advertisements, essentially. You even you even saw some jokes taken f- directly from those. Right. And so it did feel fairly typical in the first two episodes. But then by, what, I think episode three, all of a sudden, you it almost opened up like a flower. And that's yeah. a very, very strange thing to say. But all of a sudden, you realize that the show was about more, and it wanted to be about more. And... You see, you see, just the spirit of this guy who wants to do well, who is really strongly supporting of his team, even if if he doesn't necessarily know what he's doing. And it just won me over. It won yep. me over, just like Ted Lasso won over his fans, won over Trent Crim, eventually even won over uh, Rebecca, the owner.
0: It became one of my wife's swiftly became. Now my wife would tell you it's one of her favorite shows. Just after one season, the way they even wrote the side characters, I believe, uh, for me, but especially for her with the owner and uh, the relationship between the owner, Rebecca, and Ted or between Rebecca and herself or between Rebecca and the character of Keely. Um, The writing for that was just really, I thought, um, well done from an emotional standpoint. Uh, You got a lot of nuance. Um, You got to see... The strong female character also be vulnerable uh, without losing the strength inside of her. Like I thought that was really well done, um, and and ended up in some ways almost stealing some of the thunder from Ted Lasso himself. Although he was and still is pretty great, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what made the show for me. And because I was I was probably most skeptical that it would just be a bunch of one liners. Yeah, like the promos were. Right. And so the fact that they were able to bring in that thread, that storyline with Rebecca and what she was going through in the arc of season one, really rounded out the show. And then all the other side characters that they gave their own little miniature arcs throughout the season, really helped it feel like a very layered and like, yeah, it bloomed, like you said, like a flower.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think one of my very favorite episodes. I I agree with you. The interaction uh between between Rebecca and 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 Keely is really fantastic. I think that uh that it's really sweet to see. But my favorite interaction, I think, is probably between Ted and Rebecca. Yeah. And my favorite episode from season one was hands down, the Dart episode. Yep. It was brilliant even though you kind of knew where it was going you saw you saw this arc where all of a sudden Ted lasso is sort of rallying to this person who he still doesn't know is is actually trying to sabotage his career right takes on Rebecca's ex-husband in a dart match and it's just it is just a thing of beauty to watch how that's scripted and to watch how it unfolds and and listen to Ted lasso you know I almost wanted to stand up off of the couch and cheer as he, you know, hit the final
0: bullseye. It was just great TV. It was really good TV. And I loved how they, even as they developed the relationships, they showed them slowly thawing. Right. You know, even even in the midst of what sometimes felt like unbelievable optimism from Ted Lasso. (laughs) Ridiculous optimism. They As as characters started warming up, it wasn't just like a a light bulb moment and everything was fine. You saw people that were crusty and frosty slowly thawing and softening over time. And so that was another thing that sort of helped bring me fully into the buy-in of what they were doing with Ted Lasso and showing, I think, an optimistic – showing an uh, aspirational – Right model, um, saying you know, there's. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be perfect. But if we aspire to this type of approach, we can start to see rays of light cutting through the cloud cover. We can start to see the shine come back into people. We can start to see the 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 grit and the grime come off of people's hearts and minds and souls around us and. Uh, I really appreciate once I sort of switch my mindset to oh, this is aspirational. This is almost this is admonishment to me as a viewer to say, look, I get that this feels hard, but you know, what if we treated people like this, regardless of whatever we were facing or they were facing? What if? What if? Yeah. You know, are you willing to give it a try? And I felt kind of like I did after watching a movie like About Time which we've talked about elsewhere, I felt like, yeah, I want to go try. I yeah. want to go do some things differently.
1: Yep. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and and that was, I think the thing that surprised me the most writing for a Christian organization that I do. I had some very, um, I had some very um, harsh words for Ted Lasso when I first reviewed it and all those things were true and fair, but in some ways, from my understanding of Christianity, this is one of the most Christian shows in terms of how the main characters treat each other that you can see. You have, you know, we live in a very cynical age, right? And in, in our entertainment follows suit. You have... These dystopian stories, all of our sci-fi stories are very dystopian and and doom and gloom. Uh, The relational stories tend to be incredibly cynical. Even, Even the comedies that we have have a bite to them. They can feel mean and cruel. There is not a mean and cruel bone in Ted Lasso's body. And he treats people. doesn't mean that he, he lets things go. It doesn't mean that he's a pushover. I mean, he's, he will call people out when they're being jerks like he did with Rebecca's husband. But there's this honesty and there's this grace about him. I think that's the word that you have. Um, is is grace for how he treats the people around him and how he wants everybody, even the people who sometimes stab him in the back, he wants them all to be better, and he tries to push them in that direction it's 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 really stunning in a lot
0: of ways and I said to my wife as we were watching it season one, I said to her, You know you remember a couple of years ago I wrote that blog' Four Ways Leslie Nope is More Like Jesus Than I Am. That was sort of that rumination on, hey, what are those ways that I can – I, the way I live can better match up with what I say I believe. And I turned to her and I said, I got to write the same thing but just about Ted. <laughs> it's, even, it's even more relevant. It's true. It's true. The other thing I really appreciate about the show is that it gives
1: you some very – clever insights i think in the nature of of just life and living and trying to live well um all within the context of the characters and all within the context of the humor of the show you know you can you can delve into some some deeper issues here without ever feeling like you're being preached at or that yeah. you're losing that sense of comedy and i think that that you saw that in a way with uh with the first episode of season two moving on to season two it features one of the the star players for for the team um danny uh danny trejo is that correct danny rojas rojas excuse me he danny,
0: uh danny he, trejo is the actor but yeah anyway <laughs>
1: Danny Rojas, who for the the second half of season one, when he came onto the team, always said, football is life. Football is life. He was so enthusiastic every single moment of, of the day. If there was someone more enthusiastic than Ted Lasso was, it was Danny. Um, he has an accident in the first episode and he kills the (laughs) the football team's mascot. (laughs) And it's really sad. It's really sad. I don't mean to laugh at it, but it really traumatizes Danny Rojas a lot. And he needs the help of a sports guy psychologist to sort of help him through that. And it works. The sports psychologist works her magic. Um, He walks up to Ted Lasso and you know, Ted asks, "So, so what? What happened? What was the big catalyst?" And and Denny Raw says, "She's essentially taught me that yes, football is life, but football also is death, and football is also football, but mostly football is life." <laughs> <laughs> and that really, in some ways, sums up life. For me, as in a really wonderful sort of way, I think, because you have in your life all these really strange inconsistencies and paradoxes, and we all we all grieve, we all suffer. We all have these struggles that we have to deal with in life. And sometimes we wonder why. Why did this happen? Um, and the paradox is just sort of built in. And I think that that Danny Rojas, in his own way, gets to the heart of that, gets to the heart of that really
0: incredible mystery that life is for all of us. Yep. No argument there. I will say, though, I I am a little, I'm still, I find myself at the beginning of season two, after having watched the first episode of season two, a little skeptical about where they're going to go, because, you know, they, they buttoned up. So much in the first season, you know, what are they, what are they going to explore in the second season? And, uh, you know, I didn't feel like the first episode really gave us that set the tone for like what the thread is. You know, we did yep. with season one, at least, even if it didn't totally win me over to the the tone of the show right away. It sets you up with, here's going to be like the driving conflict underlying everything. You know, the owner wants to destroy the club because of what her husband's done to her. And Ted Lasso is her mechanism for doing that. That sets everything else in motion. You're like, all right, it's going to, I see where everything spins out from there. Uh, they didn't do that with the first episode of season two. They just sort of introduced a new character and, sort of seemed to indicate, like, I guess, like, we'll see what happens with the introduction of this new character being around. It didn't introduce, you know, this central plot thread, it doesn't seem to be at least, that uh, is going to draw everything through. And so that I am a little curious about to see how they navigate the rest of season two, if it makes more sense once they keep going. The other thing that struck me as a little off was even by the end of season one, like we people, you were seeing light through the cracks. You were seeing a little shine come through the dirt and grime, but nobody was all the way there, uh, themselves or with Ted. Uh, you know, there was still things about Ted that rubbed some people wrong or, you know, that wasn't resolved or whatever. And so for season two to start with Ted coming into the room and everybody just be like, Ted (laughs) felt off. Like, and it made me a little bit worried. And obviously we'll see how it plays off. It almost felt like the show writers were a little bit, too aware of the fact that audiences fell in love with ted and so then they almost started to write that into these characters rather than letting the characters still have their rough edges and still not being totally sure about ted uh they just were seemingly at least in a cut in season, episode one of season two all hunky dory and everything's good with ted and that felt a little off just based on where we left season one maybe they'll explore that a little bit more. Maybe it'll be totally fine and irrelevant, but it does. That, that's something I'm gonna be watching as season two continues to come out. Uh, yeah. I wanna see, in the midst of the optimism, I wanna see a little bit of that realism, a little bit. And maybe, you know, maybe we're gonna get there with Roy. He hadn't yeah. interacted with Ted yet. We did see some edges still on him. We'll find out. But that just had me a little bit worried that maybe the writer's success was in their head and they were gonna get a little too mushy towards Ted with the other characters where I'm hoping they'll still explore some of the, the nitty gritty. Well, and
1: that's, that was really the charm of Ted Lasso, right? It was, it was a, it was an examination of whether kindness can work in a cynical world. And I think that you, you need, you know, the core of the show is that kindness But you still need the cynicism, I think, to make it work. Yeah, Um, I would. Otherwise, we're
0: just watching the Care Bears.
1: Exactly. Well, and and the first the first season was so compelling with that that whole uh, Rebecca Ted clash, as you say. I think that it would be hard to top that. I do think that that it will actually be. um, I think that the sports counselor and Ted will come to have some pretty interesting heart to hearts. Now, whether those heart to hearts fit with what I consider to be the strength of the show. Um, whether it really strikes me the same way that so many moments of the first season did, I think that's yet to be seen. Um, I I know that that Ted Lasso won me over in the first season, and I will give it plenty of rope for the second. But Fair. I also Fair. don't think I don't think this is a guaranteed slam dunk of a second yeah. season.
0: No, it's still going to take some work. So we will see. Have you seen Ted Lasso? What did you think? Were you, did you ever not buy into the, the winsome charm of the mustachioed man from Missouri? All right. Uh, <laughs> let us know on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. You can rip me for that nonsense. <laughs> and uh, where can they find you, Paul? They can find me at AC Paul. Good, good. But now it's time. Speaking of things that are strangely compelling, such as mustachioed men from Missouri, it's time to talk about strangely compelling Olympic events.
1: I wish we had the Olympic music, you know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, they are very, uh, duh, 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 duh. am I yeah. going to get arrested
0: just for doing that? Yeah. If I included this, this whole episode would be banned. completely banned, but we all know that everybody or most everybody
1: loves the Olympics and we can't help but watch the Olympics when it comes on. Um, Even in this strange COVID year, I think that a lot of people have found themselves gravitating at least a little bit to some of the Olympics. And every time it comes around, I think that a lot of us find things, sports, that we never even knew existed. And that's what this segment is all about all of the strangely compelling events in the Olympics that we never thought that we would really get into. But somehow, every, every time the Olympics rolls around, we find ourselves watching. Sometimes we find ourselves setting our alarms to watch. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about. So, Jake, since I get to lead off this section, I'm going to have you go with number five.
0: All right, number five for me. Uh, I still had to I had to include number five on here because I actually think you can understand why it's it's compelling. It doesn't end up being that strange because it's but (laughs) why I ended up including was Paul. I didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, I've heard of synchronized swimming. We joked about synchronized swimming, but number five on my list is artistic swimming. Have you seen artistic
1: swimming? swimming? I have to say, I haven't seen artistic swimming.
0: Artistic swimming has apparently been an Olympic discipline since the 1984 games, which is crazy. I'm like, how did I have never know about artistic swimming? Your whole childhood. That's you. That's older than you are. It's older than me. And it's insane. Paul, apparently this routine from the U S women's team went viral a couple of months ago where they're doing like basically the robot to electronic dance music in the water. I It is the coolest thing I have probably ever seen. And it, it was, I could not stop watching it. It's bananas, what they're doing. And you know, you're like, they have to be walking on the ground, but no, the pool is nine feet deep. They're not walking on the ground doing this. It was insane how clean it looked, how, Co- the the choreography was stunning and it, your brain just cannot wrap around the fact that they are not walking on solid ground while they are doing these things. <laughs> I like, I'm going to put it in the blog post for this podcast because people just have to see it to believe it. If they haven't already, <laughs> it so really is for me.
1: It's, it's kind of amazing. Actually, some of these events, like a lot of them, I have a hard time considering them to be sports like artistic swimming, that that even doesn't sound like a sport to me. It feels like I could qualify it as an art, perhaps. Sure. You know? but But at the same time, when you think about some of these events, man, they take incredible athletic skill. And that oh, sounds yeah. like it would definitely be one of those because, man, I could never do that.
0: Trust me. When you see the video... I I think your whole conception of what is even possible as a human being (laughs) athletically will be challenged. The precision, like you expect to see way more faltering, wavering, uncouth splashing the precision. I mean, they're doing stuff in time with the music complete with their heads buried underwater for 30 seconds. What? At times. And you're like, how, how is this
1: happening? That is not even possible. They've got to have air tanks somewhere underneath there.
0: You'd think. It's absolutely bananas. That's number five for me.
1: Okay. All right. Number five for me, you're going to boo and hiss me for this, Jake, because this is, when we talk about strangely compelling, this is not an off-the-beat type of Type of sport. Now, I didn't choose. I didn't choose a track and field event. I didn't choose the 100 meter dash in in swimming or anything. I didn't. I didn't choose gymnastics, but I did choose one that I really wish I could watch more of, um, and that's team volleyball. Mm. Man, I dig team volleyball. Like I would. I think I might every time it comes on during the Olympics. I really love watching team volleyball for whatever reason. And I don't know whether it's because it was one of the only sports that I could do reasonably. Okay. in, in high school
0: yeah.
1: or whether it's just because there was like a, a big old world event here in Colorado Springs that I went to as a kid that I oh thought was God. just super cool. Um, it was, I am just always compelled by all the movement and all the hitting and the, the huge spikes that you see, um, I, I just think it's a it's a fascinating sport, and honestly, I wish, and I'll I'll make a pitch right now. I okay. wish that there was a professional team volleyball circuit that would actually be televised.
0: I'm sure there's professional team volleyball somewhere, but I tell you what, they would have a viewer in me. You know, if you've got ESPN Plus, they do have a lot more volleyball events on you know on that version of ESPN. So oh. maybe that's the way to go. See, I don't have ESPN+. Plus. Clearly, I need to get it. Sounds like I just sold you on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course, it would take away from my Ted Lasso time, but we'll see.
0: That's true. Number four for me, another Summer Olympics event. It's canoe slalom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have seen this. I mean, canoe slalom basically looks like uh, kayaking. whitewater like whitewater kayaking in without having to go to a river that ruins it a little bit for me i like the idea of kayaking through rapids while having the the wild of nature around me but the fact that they can fabricate whitewater rapids for kayakers and then have them do canoe slalom i am all in i love it i love i think it is fascinating to watch it's such a unique thing to watch when you just see someone's torso and then they've just got this canoe bot this kayak body <laughs> and, and they're twisting and flipping and contorting to uh, navigate all these obstacles. It's a very odd visual and yet I can't, it, I can't get enough of it. Like I truly, one of my bucket list things is to kayak some whitewater rapids and uh, may, who knows, Paul, maybe I could be an Olympic canoe slalomist someday, slalom, slalomer, slalomist. Yes slalomness. I, uh, I will
1: not hold my breath for that, Jake. I have to say, but, but I totally hear you. I, why do they not do it on actual whitewater rivers? I mean, do you know why?
0: Well, I think that I would be a lot way, harder. That would be a lot harder to do, yeah. uh, in terms of like locations because, you know, and then the, the conditions are, are more difficult to control, And you know you couldn't have people there to watch very easily because a lot of times whitewater rapids in the wild, you know that's that's a little bit out of the way. Yeah, yeah, it's out of the way. It's not easily observable. So yeah,
1: I guess that makes sense. And but it's funny that you would say uh, you know talking sort of about where you have this this upper torso and then you have the body of a kayak. It's almost like a a little strangely floating centaur, right? (laughs) where <laughs> it does look like sort of a hybrid. That yeah. was, honestly, when I first saw a kayaker, that was totally my impression. I think I was yeah. like four years old, and I thought, what happened to this guy's lower half? And then I saw this video on Sesame Street where they would turn over and over again, like they would flip over yeah. underneath the water. Crazy. Bananas. Crazy. I have not seen that actually in Olympic competition, but maybe yeah,
0: it was introduced, It first happened at the Munich Games in 1972, pretty close to when you were four. and uh, But then it w- went away for 20 years and didn't come back until Barcelona in 92. Wow. Interesting. Well, I think due to the difficulty, because it was in 92 where it first took place on an artificial course.
1: Um, and so they had
0: to spend 20 years figuring out, like, we can't just trek into the middle of the wilderness for this event every time. We got to build some fake ones. But that, I mean, that's a testament to you know how much they really wanted this sport in the Olympics that they literally had to be like we will build fake rapids
1: <laughs> so number, number 4, four number 4 on my list going along with your artistic swimming i am going to select synchronized diving Mm. synchronized diving. Now I don't have much use for synchronized swimming, even though I know you have to be incredibly athletic to do it. So any synchronized swimmers listening to me now, I have complete appreciation for your mad skills and your ability to do what you do, because it is super, 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 super hard looks like, but it is also boring as all get out for me. This, this is not a strangely compelling event. Whenever synchronized swimming comes on, I just turned the channel to Ted Lasso. Synchronized diving, totally different thing. I thought that I was going to be watching it and not be very impressed or, you know, be impressed but not really care. Now it's really amazing. There's something sort of mesmerizing watching these people do their dives, do it completely in unison, you know, where they even bounce on the board at the same time. And then they cut through the water so that they don't make a splash. They, it's, it's really stunning. When it's done well, it just takes your breath away. And I find myself, as any good Olympic viewer does, say, oh, that was a little bit over-rotated. <laughs> you, know, you, have, you start to develop this, this Olympics lingo for yeah. what is going on. And you, and you sort of develop, the more you see it, the more you appreciate it.
0: I was going to say a uh, synchronized diving of all the Olympic sports that I can think of. So many of them I, I watch and I enjoy very few of them. Do I watch and critique, but I, find myself with synchronized diving becoming this critic of people's form and how they enter the water and be like oh i don't know like that yeah they over rotated a little bit oh, that's a lot of splash look at That and splash look at that splash i think they went they went one too many quarter rotations and that really just ruined the whole routine or you know it looked like they were trying hard or and It's like I've never done more than diving off of a regular old diving board in a swimming pool. And here I I am being like, you guys go stories into the (laughs) sky, hurl your bodies, potentially hit your head on the board on the way down, and splash into this pool. And I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Exactly. That was devastatingly awful (laughs) how you performed that.
1: Look, look at that. Don't you know you shouldn't over rotate? Yeah. Idiots. I'm there with you.
0: Number three for me comes from the Winter Olympics, Hmm. and it's the biathlon. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Cross-country skiing is super boring. I've never done it in real life because it sounds dumb. (laughs) If I'm going to ski, I'm going to ski down some hills real fast. I don't want to just walk, slide across. That sounds like work, Paul, and it sounds dumb uh now add a rifle in there and all of a sudden i'm hooked pacifist that i am tell me that it's like no you're gonna you're gonna watch these dudes and gals just slide around for an hour and then take a couple of shots with a rifle that actually (laughs) still sounds boring to me and yet i will be glued to the tv just watching them huff and puff and slide their little legs across the frozen tundra just to pick up a rifle and shoot at some targets it's I see how it would be useful in very limited circumstances, thinking about the Olympics as sort of, you know, feats of strength and athletic superiority and per- perhaps battle readiness as individuals and as a country or whatever. And so it feels like the rifles just like, yeah, this is a war event. <laughs> sure. You know, it's like, because otherwise it's like they're just sliding along and it doesn't make any sense why they have rifles, but sure let's go for it and i you know what paul i still watch it even though it makes zero sense
1: yeah i totally get it there is something about the shooting that makes the sliding more interesting you know and i think it's it's just because when you're just sliding across i mean i'm a marathoner right but watching a 26 mile race is really really boring Exactly. It's really boring, and I think that that cross country skiing is just sort of a, the same thing. Where it's just it's just a lot of skiing, and man, you can appreciate the skill it takes, you can appreciate the smoothness and all that kind of stuff. But what you really need is a little break where people shoot things. You know? <laughs> That's
0: right. And of course, in classic Jerry Seinfeld fashion, the classic joke is: It's like if you had a swimming event, like the a triathlon but you have to get out of the pool and strangle a guy <laughs> to win. You know, this is a very strange segue because actually um, I
1: think that, that the biathlon made an appearance in a James Bond movie for your eyes only. There it was this very
0: bondian co-
1: cross country skier who then took pot shots at, at James Bond as he was skiing with his rifle. So he was very good at that. And it's a great segue actually to to my number three pick,, mm-hmm. which I think I really think would do so much better if it was just named the James Bond event. Okay The modern Petathlon. The modern pentathlon. Of course it would be the modern pentathlon. It is one of the strangest events that in all of the Olympics, and really for a lot of people it doesn't make any sense. The decathlon makes a lot of sense because you're doing all your different track and field events and it's who is the most track and field oriented person. The modern pentathlon, it's like a little grab bag. It's almost like someone just pulled a whole bunch of sports right out of a hat when it first developed Um, You do fencing. You do freestyle swimming. There's show jumping. You have to be an equestrian artist to do this. Uh, You do pistol shooting, cross-country running. It is crazy what you do with this thing. Um, But when you think about it, all those skills come in incredibly handy if you're a British spy. (laughs) All of them come in incredibly handy. You might need to sword fight every once in a while. Swimming is clearly very critical for for James Bond. Show jumping, sometimes he finds himself on a horse and you need to jump over things. And you need to do it with style because you're James Bond. Obviously, you shoot a lot of pistols. Obviously, you run a lot. So I I think that really the modern pentathlon is just James Bond training, super spy training.
0: There you go. I mean, especially I'm reading on the Olympics website right now about at the Tokyo games. It's not just a pistol. They call it the laser run. Did you know this? (laughs) I didn't notice that. I haven't watched it. They call it the laser run and they're shooting a laser pistol. And now I'm really wondering if I got my hopes up and I'm going to look it up and it's going to look stupid and not like a Star Wars like I'm thinking it is right now. Yeah, yeah. It, it may be a little bit disappointing. And Is it, it probably it, more like laser tag, where they, it's just they shoot a, a tiny beam of light and it triggers a sensor?
1: Uh, you know, I I cannot say because for whatever I want to see reason, stuff
0: exploding by getting in sparks because it's getting shot with oh, a yeah. real Star Wars laser.
1: No, I I honestly I honestly and truly believe that the if the Olympics were smart, they would keep the modern pentathlon. Everybody's been trying to get rid of it since 1912, since it was introduced. Keep the thing, but introduce that element of super spider. You yeah. know, instead of having, I think it should be just plain old bullets and have like these targets that seem like running villains, super villains around. I think that would be fantastic. If you had some, some machine-powered alligators chasing you during the uh, the swim event, I think that would add a lot to it. Yeah. I am totally... I wish that this thing was televised, because I have never actually seen it, but I find it strangely compelling, even without having
0: watched a second of it. I'm there with you. Number two on my list has only made its Olympic debut at Seoul 1988 in Korea, and that is table tennis.
1: Oh, this made my also-run list, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, who... On one hand, I guess somebody could predict watching a little white ball bounce back and forth would be strangely compelling because it's basically a component of, um, um, hypnotist, hypnotist, like watching a (laughs) repetitive motion, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And all of a sudden we're all hypnotized and we're stuck glued to our TV screens. But man, Paul, I have beyond just the Olympics, I have gone down way too many YouTube rabbit holes following ping pong and table tennis videos it is been absolutely i already said this earlier it is bananas what these people can do with that little white ball and that little tiny paddle it feels really kind of ridiculous again as an olympic sport because when you're looking at the people competing they do not look like athletes right almost more than any other sport that you'll watch in the olympics you don't you're not looking at almost any of these people and thinking oh yeah yeah you are you're the, the best, best in the world, world.
1: These are people you would see in the supermarket and not think a thing of them.
0: Right. But then they are literal wizards with those tiny little paddles and the way they get the balls to move. Like I I feel pretty good if I play table tennis and I get an inch of spin on a hit (laughs) and I think I'm pretty hot stuff. And these people are 20 feet back from the table, hitting the ball towards the audience and dropping it on the opposite corner. And then the other person returns it.
1: It is incredible what these people do, and I think that there's there is a certain charm in these Olympic events that we we can understand just a little bit, right? We can appreciate runners because we run a little bit, um, but but there's nothing that that strikes that chord so much in me as as table tennis. You know, what I play ping pong, and I really enjoy it, and I can hit the ball, and I don't hit the net most of the time. And it's pretty cool. And I can fool myself into thinking that I'm okay at ping pong. Man, these people do superhuman things. I, I remember watching, I'm <laughs> just like you, Jake. I remember just watching this guy wailing on this ball like 27 times, just slamming it, slamming it, slamming it. The other guy was back 20, 30 feet trying to return these humongous slams, just lobbing them over and letting the guy slam it again. It was it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh
0: there you yeah. have it number two for you Paul number two for me
1: along the same lines this is another net sport um, and it, it sort of goes along these same lines where where people have done this just for fun but it takes a whole new level at the Olympics and that of course is badminton mm. badminton guess Jake how fast those birdies can go
0: 73 kilometers an hour uh no Nope. Let's try 416
1: kilometers. I oh, think my it's, it's It is something like 300 miles an hour. My god! 300 miles an hour, they hit these little shuttlecocks, what we would call birdies. Mm-hmm. Um, their word is better. Their word is much better. <laughs> Both simultaneously more prestigious and yet slightly dirtier than birdies. Um, it is It is an amazing thing to watch these shuttlecocks just zoom around like crazy. So it is it is the fastest thing that you can hit in sports. If you hit a tennis ball, you can hit it you know 150 miles an hour. If you throw a fast fastball, you can you can throw it maybe 110, 120 if you're really, really super good. Hit a golf ball, 217 miles an hour is the world record for the fastest you can hit a golf ball on a drive. Badminton shuttlecocks, blow them all away. It might be the fastest sport in the Olympics.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. I always think of high as the world's fastest sport. But, but you don't hit something in high lie, you throw something. So maybe that's where the distinction yeah. is. But yeah. that's crazy. And it does, it makes for a very compelling visual in badminton, especially the way it slows down so quickly. Exactly. It almost feels as though you're watching a movie when all of a sudden when everything's going really fast and then all of a sudden something hits slow motion. That's what it feels like watching Batman where you see it explode off the racket and then it sort of weirdly dies before it explodes again and so it's just a <laughs> every time and you're it is it is compelling. It is truly compelling. It is fascinating.
1: I would watch. I would watch badminton every chance I get. All right, Jake.
0: Here you go. Number one for me, the gold truly medal, the most strangely compelling of all, because I still to this day do not understand how it works, and yet I have probably watched it more than almost any other Olympic sport. Curling. <laughs> it, you always knew it had to be curling, right? It, uh, <laughs> it's a sheet of ice people can play it while they drink beer apparently in some places and they hurl stones as people furiously sweep in front of it paul i still don't even know if the sweepers in front of it are making it go faster or slower i (laughs) it's it's a sport no matter how much i've tried to understand no matter how many times i've looked it up i don't know how the scoring works i don't know what the sweeping does i don't know what the objective is Gosh, what why am I how have I watched so much of it and I still don't understand it and yet I still watch it. <laughs> to me it's truly the most strangely compelling because I have zero idea what's going on or why I'm watching it except I still do.
1: <laughs> so, this is a great segue to mine because of course mine is also Curling, <laughs> and to show you, I will out geek you in this because I actually do know how it's scored. I do know what the sweepers do. It is crazy. This was this was a sport that we found that I discovered in like the the 1990s. Uh, my son and I we were maybe early 2000s. My son and I just turned on the Olympics. We were sort of Olympics obsessed at the time, and so we. <laughs> before i would go to work i would flip on the tv see what was on the olympics and we saw this thing called curling and my son and i we sat down and we thought okay this will this will be kind of a hoot because you know it's it's these it's these non-athletic people sliding rocks down a sheet of ice while people are, are swooping, and you think this is silly every single morning after that we found ourselves Tuning in, we knew who was doing the curling, we knew the best teams, we knew how it was scored, we got to know how to, you know, the the how they curl around. It was incredibly compelling. And I, I was so enthusiastic that I shared it with people at work. I worked at the local paper in Colorado Springs at the time and I said, You have got to watch this sport. It's incredible. And my editor said, I've been watching it too. It's amazing. And you know what she did? Hmm. He joined a local curling club. Nice, and is now nationally ranked on a <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. It shows just how strangely addictive that stupid sport of curling is. If I, if it wasn't on ice, I would totally curl. I think it would be great, but ice and me do not get along.
0: Ah, there you have it the top most strangely compelling sports in the olympics i know there are some out there that have been discontinued that are probably even stranger than these and i know that there's some i'm probably not even aware of so you should let me know i'm on twitter at at jake underscore roberson i'm at ac paul but now it's time for the most least important thing We have arrived at the most least important thing, the way sweet, sweet music fills Paul's ears as another show is wrapping up, and we begin to discuss the things that matter not, at least to one of us. (laughs) It's the most (laughs) least important thing. This time around, I'm kicking things off with my one-sentence review of Space Jam A New Legacy. Uh, there's a lot of things to be said about a Space Jam, about Space Jam: A New Legacy, about LeBron's acting performance, about how it compares to the 1990s original with Michael Jordan, about how our kids probably don't—most of our kids don't know what Looney Tunes is anymore. Anyways, <laughs> oh, but, surely they do. But you really only need this one sentence review to know everything you need to know about Space Jam, A New Legacy, for better or for worse. So here it is. There's no Bill Murray cameo. Oh, that's a shame.
1: That's a shame. That is a shame. I have heard mixed reviews on Space
0: Jam, A New Legacy. If you need a more than one sentence review, for those of you who are unsatisfied with my craft at one sentence reviewing, I will use a Paul AC phrase. It was fine. It was just <laughs> it fine. Was just fine. LeBron, it turns out, is not good at acting beyond a 30-second commercial spot. Not really a surprise, but there it is. Uh it was not as loony. It didn't have sort of the heart that you sort of wanted from the original. Uh, but it was actually also more emotionally resonant than the original because guess what? When we all watch the original Space Jam, ain't none of us care about whether or not Michael Jordan was a good baseball player. It didn't matter. (laughs) No stakes. The fact that this one deals with You know, some father son dynamics, it actually has some surprisingly emotional moments. Paul, I think you'd like the father-son storyline throughout Space Jam. You're a sucker for that. And it's not and you know what, the scene where LeBron and Bugs need to go recruit uh, in their team was was better than any single scene outside of Bill Murray in the original Space Jam. The problem is Bill Murray is the unsung hero of the original Space Jam. Just so good. And not bringing him back really hurts the film overall. But it's fine. It's just fine. (laughs) You know, maybe we should do a,
1: a top five sometimes on best Bill Murray appearances.
0: Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. Hmm. all right we'll 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 noodle
1: on that for a bit paul what do you got for us so to wrap up this very very sports oriented podcast um i want to take us back i i jake you and i had just talked a little bit about the 1904 olympics in in st louis let's go back you four did. years before that before that before that Nineteen hundred Paris. This was the this only the second Olympics that had ever been run, and these Olympics, as I found out as I was researching these strangely compelling sports, it was Olympics almost held in secret Mm. because no one actually knew that they were competing in the Olympics. It really was, so it was done as part of the world's fair they they had taken control the world 's fair or or some people in the Parisian higher ups had taken control of the uh the Olympics away from the the International Olympic Committee and decided to do their own thing and so they had a whole bunch of events connected with the world 's fair, mm-hmm. and so for a long time people didn 't really even know what was an Olympic event and what wasn't there was an event called Poodle Clipping, where you actually clipped poodles. Avril Lafoul won the gold, having clipped 17 poodles in two hours.
0: <laughs> I don't know whether that's impressive or whether that's like, oh, no, 17 in two hours is nothing. That, that was, they were being lazy. 17 <laughs> poodles in two hours. What does that mean? I have no comparison point.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was a strange Olympics. They also had uh, the only time when actually live things were shot down for an Olympics. Pigeon shooting was an official Olympic Ooh. event. Um, the winner was someone from Belgium named Leon de London. He killed 21 pigeons. 21 pigeons. Overall, 300 pigeons were killed.
0: Oh my gosh! How fast? Like, was there a time limit for killing twenty-one pigeons, or it was just, hey, here's a field it's just with three hundred pigeons, with 300 pigeons. <laughs> until
1: Who- there were no pigeons left. Apparently, <laughs> they had they had ballooning was a semi official Olympic sport. They had something called called bowls, which was essentially bocce ball, cannon shooting, firefighting was an olympic sport or at least semi
0: like fire putting out fires
1: yeah yeah they had 15 different categories of auto racing and they use real people's houses the fire. <laughs> in the fire in the fire situation yeah I it's hard to say i cannot <laughs> say but 15 different categories of auto racing including taxi delivery truck, and fire truck, which leads up to the to the other yeah. one. The only non-French victor was in the fire truck driving competition, but he was unopposed.
0: And, and that was back when all vehicles looked exactly the same. They just put a different decal on them because 1900, vehicles were pretty rudimentary. It wasn't, wasn't like today. It was, <laughs> well, this one was a fire truck because it's we put a fire <laughs> yeah, truck sticker exactly. on it, and it drives yeah. us to the fire.
1: They had a hose. they had a hose, and that was it. They had a hose in the truck, so apparently the uh the track and field events were run just in this park. I mean there were the, they had to navigate tree branches and stuff. <laughs> the hammer throws like the sometimes the hammers were thrown up into trees and got caught there oh. so it was it was not very well organized. Uh the winner of the gold medal for the golf tournament, nine holes of golf for the female side, Margaret Ives Abbott from Chicago won. She never knew it, never knew it. She died in nineteen fifty five never knowing that she was an <laughs> Olympic gold medalist
0: because no one told her <laughs> she was just doing her warm up like she didn't even sign up, but she played through, and so they started keeping track of the score. And then, it was like, they looked down at the end of the day, and they're like, "This person won." And she's, meanwhile,
1: yeah. So historians are apparently still arguing what actually was an Olympic sport and what wasn't. And and someone once said, the the leader of the IOC actually said to friends, "It's a miracle that the Olympic movement survived that celebration." And yeah, it sounds like it would have been a
0: crazy Olympics, but one strangely compelling. Absolutely strangely compelling. And I feel like I might have been able to win a competition or two in that kind of a setup. <laughs> I mean, if, if I don't have the pressure of you could, knowing I'm trying to win a gold medal, I can I can be pretty good at some stuff. <laughs> you could drive a fire truck really well, I'm That's sure. Right. You might even be able to put out a fire. Yeah, you know, like could that one a guy game. that drove unopposed. I could, I could beat myself for sure. we won't go there
1: but yeah i i think that that we might i might even be able to stand i'd like to do the bocce ball competition i think that would be fun
0: yeah it's doable there you have it no one knew they were competing in the 1900 olympics not even the uh, gold medalist (laughs) golfer (laughs) she died in 1955 never knew she won you remember? You remember that? You remember that round of nine you had 55 <laughs> years ago? We never told you you won. Oh. We never told you you were competing, but you won. Surprise! Maybe there we've you. actually already competed in the Olympics, and we just don't know it either. That's that's true. It's it's entirely possible that a hundred years from now, somebody will be like, "Did you know Paul Acey and Jake Roberson won the Olympic event for the podcasting? Most- ridiculous podcast in the entire world. We never told them. There you have it. It's the most least important thing. There's nowhere to go from there. There's no segue. So bye. No, uh, uh, you can find us on Twitter and tell us what we've, what our gold medal is. How about you do that? You find us on Twitter and you tell us what we've won a gold medal for. We're, we would like to know before we die. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know if we really want to know that. I would like to know what their their strangely compelling sports are. And also to, yeah. what yes. events what what events would you like to see in
0: the Olympics? What strange events should be in the Olympics? CPAC Takra. That's that's mine. We talked about that in our Eurovision episode. It's gotta be in the Olympics here soon. CPAC Takra. Let's get on that movement. Rodeo. Rodeo Olympics. Rodeo sports. Drive. We're on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.